happy Wednesday, wherever you are. Yes, it is that time for Ready, Set, Real Estate. And today on episode, what episode are we on? My goodness, because you know we're doing Shift Your Thinking. We're like on 200 over there. Episode 153. And it's I titled this because, of course, it's a spinoff of a song. Let's talk about trust, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Okay, some of you might not be old enough to remember that song, but for me, yeah, it was, it was, you know, back in the day. So 153, we're talking about trust. And before I jump into that, I want to share with you some updates. And today we're doing classroom style. So bring your uh, notepads, pens, paper, pencil, tablet, whatever you're using to write down. All right. So show disclaimer, my name's Lisa Gillette and I'm not an attorney or tax advisor. So please seek legal and tax advice from those reputable licensed professionals. Uh, and when you fast forward, you hear California broker DRE 01736957. That's my commercial on disclaimer. Uh, a little bit about me, Lisa Gillette also known as super agent. I am a licensed California real estate broker. I'm an active professional, meaning a uh, foot in the ground, right? Foot to the ground, 10 toes to the concrete. And so I am a pricing strategy advisor. These are certifications in my experience that I do hold short sales and foreclosure certified and a seniors real estate specialist. So that means I've been trained and I'm qualified to work in these specific areas. So, uh, our business uh, services residential uh, re residential real estate or real property. We do some multifamily, which is commercial, five units or more. Just wanted to give you that as we talk about trust and who am I? Some of you may say, who are you? What makes you qualified to talk to us about this today? Well, because I get to see the life and death of real estate. Uh, hint, hint, new book coming soon. Stay tuned the life and death of real estate. I've been fortunate to see the life, the living side of it to the point of where clients pass away. And oftentimes we have to have that discussion of what happens to the property when the owner dies. So that's today's topic. And I'm really excited about that. Before I jump into that, I do want to share that this show or segment today's episode is sponsored by real estate 100 the teen and millennial investment blueprint grab your copy and i just want to throw a quick commercial there and we'll be right back You can grab your copy at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and any of the online retailers. And if you'd like to stock our book, hello, feel free to reach out. Uh, Co-authored with Anthony Lee, Philly real estate investor and realtor, doing great things out there in the city of Philadelphia. And I know he's out there in Delaware, Delaware County, has got a great team that he's grown and they're doing workshops and trainings. I do have 
it penciled in to get bring Anthony on the show. He was on the show a couple of times in the past, talk about, of course, the book, but really so, uh, more so about his growth in the industry. What I can appreciate about his industry is it's one of resilience, determination, and never giving up. He, who authored, co-authored this book with myself, he, Anthony, failed his real estate exam 10 times. And when he finally got licensed, he hit rookie of the year first year. So kudos to him. And now he's developed his own team doing big things over there. So shout out to Anthony Lee. You can follow him at A Lee Real Estate on IG. That's A Lee Real Estate on IG. All right. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go ahead and share this screen today. Add this to uh, the segment. So let's talk about trust, baby. I have that in my in my head now. I've been saying it for a couple of days in my head for a couple of days. Let's talk about trust. So I did share disclaimers. What What is it about trust? What am I missing? Oh, here we go. Working simultaneously here. So what is a living trust? And this information I pulled. So I'm in California, of course. So I will speak from a California perspective, right? And experience and as a professional my stories will be California based. But for those of you who are out of state, same rules apply. Just definitely check with what your uh, state ordinances are re uh, relating to probate and probate codes, right? Because what oversees trust is the probate code. I know that's confusing, but you know, being in law school, it's something that I learned myself recently as well is like, oh, everything's governed by the probate code. Duh, makes sense. Especially when I look at the cases. So if you're an agent here and you're tuning in, I'll also give you some tips on how you can um, uh, level up on your client uh, new business, right? So a living trust is a form of estate planning that allows you to control your assets, your money and property while you are still alive. That's why it's called a living trust. But have it distributed to people or organizations you select when you die. So what the thing I like about living trust, it supersedes you. It lives beyond you. When we talk about generational wealth, which most people are always talking about generational wealth, that's the part that they are forgetting to mention is planning generational wealth in the living trust. So it's all good and great to talk about legacy building. But guess what? If you're not planning for your death, it's moot for you to talk about legacy building. It's moot. Completely moot. And... I just wanted to turn this on because you know the rules of thumb. So even though this information is free and thank you to our sponsors who keep us going, press one lets me know you're here. Press two, you let me know you shared it, right? If you find this information valuable, please share it. Let's empower one another. And we are in uh, segment uh, 153, right? Let's talk about trust. Let's talk about trust, baby. Let's talk about you and me. I don't know how many times I'm going to do that during this show because this is the song that I hear playing in my head. Okay, so living trust is essentially estate planning. It's an estate planning tool. Uh, it's interesting because I just had a client, a new client uh, come to me 
And he asked me, he felt that because his property was in a trust, he would not have to pay capital gains tax when he sold his property. Who told you that? No, it's not true. It's not true. You know, Aunt Iris, Aunt Iris, IRS wants their money. Aunt Iris wants her money and she wants it off the top. Speaking of that, I'm, you know, as I do uh, show topics, I also have to remind myself because I talk about, I talk a lot about various things. And so it, it, things come up. So we'll be talking about this thing called chain of title. That's my thought went there just now as I was talking about Aunt Iris wanting their money off the top because the chain of title will tell you who's going to get their money off the top. That means any liens that you have recorded on the property, any documents that have been recorded on the property, we look at the chain of title. What I, as a professional, am looking for when something when I'm uh, doing a strategy, strategy session with a client about, let's say, a sale versus rent analysis, what I oftentimes am looking for is what's been recorded who is recorded? I'm looking at the vesting. Drop that in the comments below. Hashtag vesting. I'm looking at the vesting. So vesting. What is vesting? It's essentially how you take ownership in a property. So various types of vesting. My examples of vesting are joint tenancy, tenants in common, sole and separate property, community property or as a trust or as an LLC, an entity corporation. So those are various ways that you can take title in a property. Today we are talking about what it what the process is in taking title or transferring title into a trust. So you may have already purchased and now you're doing estate planning because now you have real property, real estate, and you have investments, you might have children, you might have an organization, you might have a dog. You've got all these lists of uh, the nouns, right? You have the nouns, people, places, and things. And so what do you do with, with managing those assets that you are accumulating over time? Because if you feel like you don't need to do anything, then you're right. Because the truth is, the state has already decided for you. California and most states have already written what is called your will. W-I-L-L. -L, your will. Your will has been set for you. And guess what? it will be subject to probate code. And what does that mean? That means the settlement uh, that just got ironed out with Prince's estate, he had no living trust. In fact, he didn't even have a will. Whether he decided on that intentionally to let them battle it out in court, that's what happened, is that they settled out his estate, and I want to bring that up. I want to, I want to bring that up. It definitely was a valuable lesson in estate planning because uh, 
at the end of it all being said and done, what did we find out? We've learned that he owed 32.4 million in taxes and let's share this because I, I did a I did a thing about this. I talked about this and I'm gonna bring it over here. I'm doing a screen share for us. Tell you classroom style. Okay. So here we go, right? So the IRS says the executors undervalued Prince's estate by 50% and he owes another 32.4 million in taxes. So the executors, right? And this is because this had to be subject to probate. He had no trust in all the wonderful things that he did, acquired, that had to be battled out and divided by five different people, right? Five different people. And unfortunately, this is how it pans out is after everything gets paid for and allocated or accounted for, the beneficiaries or the heirs are left with what's left. So if you want your funds or in particular hey miss event welcome thank you she's you streaming from the ergj page you know we stream simultaneously if you want your assets to get to a particular people or organization then you should be planning accordingly i get this question a lot uh oftentimes people are saying well you know, do I need a trust? Should I get a trust? Not if you don't have real property, truth be told, is if you don't have assets that you've accumulated. But if you're someone who has a real property, minor children, investments, vehicles, and especially now you're seeing tons of money may, may being earned very quickly in the crypto game, in cryptocurrency, I would suggest that you should be revisiting that. If you own trademarks, um, I'm huge on IP, so I own an intellectual property. In fact, my husband and I were planning our estate planning because now I'm married, I'm in a union. And so it is that much more paramount for me to now be managing our accumulated assets, especially because now we're a blended family, right? Uh, so not everyone needs a trust. It depends on your situation and your finances. Depends on what? Your situation and finances. Of course, we have to be mindful, like in every business, in every aspect of something being sold and told out there, there are bad actors. And there's this thing called living trust mills. They're like uh, almost what you see sometimes. I talked about this with lenders where they keep reaching out to you. They, oh, you refinance and they prey on seniors mainly uh, is a targeted group because they're the most vulnerable with a lot of this information. They have assets, um, oftentimes older, not oftentimes uh, as cognizant or aware or sharp, right, as they used to be 
in their younger years. Uh, so people tend to prey on them because they do require a lot more patience and uh, should have a support system that they can call on when they have uh, questions or matters to, to, to deal with. So be aware of this thing called living trust. So similar to, uh, like I was saying, I'll finish that thought with us loan officers who will refinance the property three months later, four months later saying, hey, rates went down, let's refinance. And then they keep coming after you for refinancing the property. And oftentimes that's not to your benefit because of the cost every time it costs a refinance. And so just like that, you have uh, advisors, quote unquote, people are calling themselves trust advisors or senior state planners or paralegals or something similar, but may not necessarily hold state and government certification or licenses to practice or consult in those areas. And when they reach out, they almost use a fear-based uh, sales tactic where they make you feel like if you don't put your property in a trust and you're going to lose everything and you're going to pay more taxes and your annuities or investments are at risk and are at stake. And so that's their tactic. And or oftentimes they may portray themselves that way. Again, we're talking about the bad actors because even lawyers or brokers or agents or car salesmen or whoever, there's bad actors in all these different fields. Um, may present themselves to be to transfer your property into a trust, but instead, what are they doing? They are they are having you sign off or doing a quick claim, and I'm going to talk about that shortly. Doing a quick claim transfer to them, to their business or their property or their uh, names or their entities or their trusts. And when they do that, oftentimes it's because once they have ownership, they can do a refinance and cash out money out of your house. And you've got this whole big mortgage fraud scheme that is uh, happening. So real estate scams are prevalent, they're live. So be aware, be aware, so beware. Now there's this thing called, uh, you know, uh, these uh, trust in the kits or do it yourself. So I wanna talk a little bit about that, but again, it's going to be based on your specific needs and really the type of person that you are. If you're savvy, you're confident, you're resourceful, you research things, you have access to uh, people and asking the right questions, then um, maybe do it yourself would, be, would make sense. But I'm gonna talk a little bit more. So do it yourself, uh, trust kits or online programs that walk you through the steps versus lawyer prepared versus lawyer prepared. Yvette shares, I know when someone called me and I don't answer my phone and they are scammers 24 seven. And recent lately, Yvette, I've noticed that as well. My phone, I have two phones now. And part of the reason is because I get solicited all the time. Anyone in here gets solicited on a regular in fact, uh, someone solicited me, asked me and I to complete a survey, and I was in a good mood that day. And so I answered the survey. Next thing you know, my line was spoofed. So it looks like they were they managed to tra track my call, I guess, because I stayed on the phone long enough. Then they spoofed other lines. So they used my phone number to call other people and spam them. And so people are now calling me back and say, hey, you just called me. Who are you? And I'm like, I didn't call you. So that was a whole nother issue that I had to deal with. 
Yvette says, yeah, I do all the time. So most of us, so it's it's a big thing. And this is why we've got to be, we've got to be vigilant people. We've got to be vigilant. All right, let's get into the do it yourself. And this is again, my opinion and others may not share my opinion, of course, and I, this is not my area, which is why I shared my disclaimer. But in terms of, uh, you know, what's available and what's out there, this is what, what I've observed. So with your do it yourself, and those are usually do-it-yourself uh, trust that you can prepare for less than $600, less than $600. Why that's attractive to most uh, is that is very economic. That's very budget-friendly. But beware that it may not suit your needs if you have a complex estate. If you have multiple properties, you've got... Uh, you know, children, you've got parents that you're overseeing, you've got, you know, investments across the country, you know, you're doing all kinds of different things. So your needs may not be best suited for what is what I'm saying is to do it yourself. This likely would be suited for someone who has a very simple uh, scenario or situation. They might have just one property, which is their primary residence that they live in, and you know, husband and wife and children, and they're very clear on who to name as the trustees and successor trustees. So I'll just give some terms or share some terms. So your trustees are the people that um, succeeds you. After you pass on, they're going to carry out what you've designed in your trust. They don't get to make up the rules after you've died. They have to carry out, which is what we call the administration, um, and execute, right? Also known as executors, the executors of the estate uh, after you passed on, and it's according to how you've planned and designed it. This is oftentimes where you're spelling out whether the property should be sold. Uh, I have a client who is clear that they are now in the fourth generation of their property ownership, as we talk about legacy building. And he is stipulating as he's now doing his trust because he comes from a family of trust. You've got to trust people when you're doing trust, right? Keyword, trust. And they've got to be accountable. They've got to be organized when you're naming your trustees to execute your wishes. He's He comes from a family of trust. And so he, part of the stipulation of the trust from the original trustor or settler or grantor, that's the, per, the original person, who is creating the trust and is has the ownership of over the assets, they are, uh, she stipulated, which is his mother, that the property is not to be sold. Doesn't that make it easy when someone passes away? Now there's no question as to, do we sell, you know, Big Mama's house? Do we sell, you know, Pop's house? What do we do? Well, if there's a trust and it stipulates that it not to be sold, that's their wishes, right? There's no, oh, well, he would have, I think he would have wanted this, or I think he wanted one of that. No, no, no. See, when you're alive, you get to plan for what happens after you die. It's funny. I have a client, a dear friend that says to me, because I've been talking to her, her about this, like, remember to do your trust. And uh, I was explaining that aspect that this is essentially you giving directives after you're dead. And she said, 
awesome. She has two little girls. She said, you mean I could still control their lives after from the grave? I said, essentially, she's like, perfect. So if you want to stipulate certain uh, rules and conditions in terms of selling property or when they inherit assets or money, right? That's the saying, trust fund babies. When do they get the trust funds? When they turn 18, when they're 21, when they finish college, when they start a business, when they get married, all those are conditions that you can stipulate. I've seen trust like that, that um, if the grandson, I saw one that said that upon his marriage, his share would actually be reduced. Um, so, so as a single person, he has access to the, to the funds and most of the funds, but when he gets married, his share reduces. So does that encourage him to be married or remain single? You see, you see how some people can dictate some, some crazy things. So that's what I mean. More complex trusts and estates where you've got all those rules and legacy and generations that it's supposed to be, you know, five generations down the road, you might want to have one that's lawyer prepared. Okay. Again, I pointed out in terms of the do it yourself as someone who's organized and accountable for the next steps in funding the trust, because you can do it, do it yourself, get it. And then you feel like it's done because you wrote it down and it's listed on paper, but there's some additional steps that need to happen. So again, price point wise, you're going to be at just around $600 or less. What I've seen anywhere from $350 to $600 uh, are the do it yourself. Again, depending on how you learn, how resourceful you are and experience, uh, that may work. And again, sim simplify trust. If it adds, oh yeah, speaking about passing away, my, my cousin passed away, but I should not put it in here. Well, too bad you just did. <laughs> and condolences to you all, condolences to your family. So if she owned property and she has, um, you know, if she owned property and doesn't have a trust, then it becomes a question of what happens to her property. If she has a mortgage, it becomes a question of notifying the mortgage company and saying, okay, um, we'd like to assume we want to keep the house and we want to assume the mortgage. I'm going to do that on the next topic. Hmm assumptions because believe it or not state laws there are state laws that allows the lender to send you a package to see if you can qualify and assume the loan when a a, a relative or family member has passed away that's written in the law in mortgage codes as well okay then you have lawyer prepareds, which again are complex trusts and estates. The price range may be anywhere from three thousand and up. The lowest or the least cost that I've seen it, and it's by uh, an attorney professional that I I know of. He starts at eighteen hundred, not including the cost of funding it with real estate. So I think it's eighteen hundred for the trust, and then four hundred and fifty dollars per property. So again, the language and transference of the trust. And it may include trust administration and revisions. Ooh, I want to also point that out with the do-it-yourself. So with the do-it-yourself, uh, those platforms and systems may will not likely include what is called trust administration, which is the execution of once you've died is now executing, right? Moving forward and what are the next steps with the trust? And they may not be able to... Um, you may not be able to revise it as easily. 
again, unless you're resourceful. So be uh, keep that in mind. If you do one with a lawyer, then it's a phone call and say, hey, we need to make a revision that you schedule a uh, consultation or, or a session to meet with the lawyer to update the trust, especially because we hear conversations of, oh, I'm going to write you out of my will or, you know, things have changed. You've gotten divorced or this one kid wowed out and you don't want them to get a share or, or as much anymore. Those things require revisions. Again, it's according to your wishes. You're planning for life after death. And then here's what another important aspect of you know, the difference with do it yourself versus the lawyer prepared is that you will have, you'll always have someone as a third party or outside of yourself that will have a copy and file of for future references and is clear on the instructions following the trustor's death, which is uh, you as the original, the originator or creator of the trust. So the lawyer's office will have a copy. You may have electric electronic copy or scan copy. Those things you want to keep on file keep it in a safe place, security, you know, like safety, security deposit boxes, et cetera, making sure that the trustees have a copy, that they know when you pass on what to do next. All right. Um, and then there's this funding the trust. But before we do that, there's this document called the trust certification. And some, some of the do-it-yourselves will offer the trust certification page which is great because it's a synopsis. It's a summary of the date of the trust, name of the trust, um, who who are the grantors, settlers, trusters. Again, these are terms used interchangeably. Um, as you can see here, I used an example of you know whether it's a, a revocable trust or or an irrevocable trust. And if it's a revocable trust, that means it can be revised and changed. If it's an irrevocable trust. I'm going to put that in a comment here. Irrevocable, irrevocable VCs. If I know how to spell, of course I know how to spell today. Revocable versus irrevocable trust. So if it's an irrevocable, revocable trust, you have with, um, and it depends on where you put the accent by, revocable an advertisement, advertisement, depending how you say it. <laughs> With irrevocable trust, it you once it's uh, made, it cannot be undone, right? What's it? What it's once it's made, it cannot be undone. That's pretty much it. You would have to create a new one. Uh, with the uh, and or likely and or likely, and of course, I'd have to double check with my attorney colleagues. Um, likely an amendment to it is how you uh, make those changes. So it's not as easy if you do an irrevocable trust. With the revocable trust, you it can be changed. Um, Yvette asks, what are trust certifications? Okay, great. Bring me back, right? So uh, this is a, an example of the trust certification. So this is just an example in terms of the form um, with California, and it's dictated by probate code, et cetera, et cetera, section so and so and so. So it, it's essentially a summary of your trust. Your trust may be 30 to 50 pages, and you don't want to file that with the county recorder's office. Instead, what you complete is a certification trust or trust certification. You review and sign, and it has to be notarized. It has to be notarized. 
FYI, wills are never notarized. They are witness. This is coming from a notary public. Been a notary public for a good greater portion of my life. And even with the pandemic, it was very difficult. Kudos to my husband and my mom for pushing me through to hang in there because it was difficult to get my renewal during the pandemic. There, it was just insane. But I was able to still maintain um, um, my my notary position or license <laughs> with the state of California. And so that's a key thing that we have to share with people is that trust you notarize, wills you do not, wills are witness. Uh, they And so when you are notarizing these documents, and I'm speaking again from a notary public perspective, it requires a thumbprint, right? If this thumb is not available, then you use this thumb. And if this thumb or this thumb is not available, then you use the next thumb, right? So what what, what is the point is that you have to have some type of fingerprinting in the notary journal that goes with your ID, acknowledging that you are who you are, and a signature, wise because trusts are documents that can have serious consequences on authority on authority meaning who has the power so want to make sure that the person who is granting the power is in their sound not sound mind to grant their power and then that they are there to sign cannot be signed by someone other than the original settler, trustor, or grantor, okay? Person granting the power even over themselves, it's got to sign to grant power over themselves to someone else. All right. And then the funds part is funding the trust with real estate. So this is just an example of a quick claim deed. I know most people get nervous when you, you say Quit claim deed is like, oh, so what is a quit claim deed? Exactly what it means. You quit your claim to the deed, in this case, real property. When you're funding your trust, now that you have reviewed it, signed it, notarized it, and stored it, and you have your trust certification, you now need to either contact one of three people to get this going a real estate professional an escrow officer, settlement officer, or settlement agent, three, a title officer or title attorney, depending on your state. But these people will generate the appropriate forms that will then transfer, and that transfer is called funding, funding your trust. So transferring your property into your trust. Why are we doing this anyway? for estate planning reasons, because in the event that it's just you on title and you pass away to probate court, your property goes along with the long list of beneficiaries and heirs that believe they have rightful claim to the property and any assets that you own, including bank accounts uh, and life insurance, if you don't have a beneficiary named, et cetera, et cetera. So you want to take in California, we call the we call it the uh, preliminary change of ownership report, and I actually have that up for you. So let's share that real quick. Make that bigger. So it's the pre again California preliminary change of ownership report 
So what this does, it notifies whom, it notifies, and you see it here, the County of Los Angeles Office of the Assessor. And what's interesting is right off the top, it asks you the question as whether this is your primary residence because it does have tax consequences depending on how you answer. Then there's transfer information. Again, there's various propositions that will um, allow a homeowner, a senior in particular, 55 and up, to transfer uh, their property, their current property tax rate to their new property. It's this big push to um, alleviate having, uh, alleviate this housing crisis, right? So it's a ploy to encourage more seniors to maybe if they can move out of the area and with that, if they're within California and they move out of the area, they can take their low property taxes and apply it to a replacement property, even if they, they purchase um, at a higher price point. Because you do realize when you do buy and sell real estate or sell your real estate property at a higher, you purchase at a higher price point, then what that means is your property taxes increase. Mm -hmm. But for seniors, um, they have a great incentive that would still lock in. It's almost grandfathering in their property taxes at the basis in which they're currently paying. There's other questions in here that indicates what type of transfer. Um, in this case, there's this one that says this transfer is the result of a co-tenant's death and date of de death. So this is notifying them if an owner has passed away. Um, it also indicates in here whether this transfer is for um, right here. This is a transfer of property to or from a revocable trust that may be revoked by the transfer and is for the benefit of whom the transfer and or the transfer spouse registered domestic partner. And then the second uh, item is that this is a uh, transfer from to and from an irrevocable trust. So you see item L right here talks about the trust transfer. This is the part where we are notifying the county assessors about funding the, tr funding the trust. Then there's other information in here that may or may not apply in terms of the uh, property information. Then you as the transferor, you're going to sign, you're going to stipulate your uh, title as well, right? Date, time, and title. You'll put that in there as trustee. All right. I really wanted to share that with you. So you had it and you know what it was. So now you have your preliminary change of ownership, what we just looked at. You have your quick claim deed of trust that those professionals will um, prepare in a formal document for you to be notarized. And it stipulates you are transferring it from yourself into your trust to which you are the trustee of your trust and then they may add depending where you are an affidavit and then include the trust certification as well all right so if you found this information valuable of course please like and subscribe and share press one lets me know you're here and two lets me know you shared it you can connect, build, and share with me at LA Super Agent on all social media platforms. And be sure to check us out on, 
on all radio podcast platforms. I really have to stress that because um, podcasts is here to stay. Um, Spotify is doing great things in terms of they are actually allowing video on their podcasts. Uh, I think I'm going to have to bring that back for some of my aging colleagues who need to up their podcasting game. I noticed not just the California Association of Realtors now has a podcast, but the National Association of Realtors has a podcast. So if you're an industry professional and you haven't jumped into podcasting, I implore you, your voice needs to be heard. People need to hear your expertise and your experience. Your tribe is awaiting for it, awaiting you. So I encourage you, I'm encouraging you, get on get on get on now all right with that i say have a powerful and productive week we'll see you next week on another information packed episode of ready set real estate bye